0: Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about stillbirth. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com slash stillbirth or in the antenatal care section of the Zero to Finals Obstetrics and Gynecology book. So let's get straight into it. Stillbirth is defined as the birth of a dead fetus after 24 weeks gestation. Stillbirth is the result of intrauterine fetal death, or IUFD. It occurs in approximately 1 in 200 pregnancies. Let's go through the causes. Many of the conditions that can affect pregnancy increase the risk of stillbirth. It's also common for stillbirth to be unexplained. The causes of stillbirth include unexplained, which is around 50% of stillbirth cases, Preeclampsia, placental abruption, vasa previa, cord prolapse or wrapping of the cord around the fetal neck, obstetric cholestasis, diabetes, thyroid disease, infections such as rubella, parvovirus, and listeria, and genetic abnormalities or congenital malformations in the fetus. Factors that increase the risk of stillbirth include foetal growth restriction, smoking, alcohol consumption, increased maternal age, maternal obesity, twin pregnancies and when the mother sleeps on the back as opposed to sleeping on her side. Next let's talk about the prevention of stillbirth. A risk assessment for having a baby that is small for gestational age or with a foetal growth restriction is performed on all pregnant women. Having risk factors for small for gestational age increases the risk of stillbirth. Those at higher risk have the fetal growth monitored closely with serial growth scans, using ultrasound scans every two to four weeks to measure the growth of the fetus. This helps identify women that need further investigations and management. They may need planned early delivery when the growth is static or other concerns are identified on the growth scans. Women at risk of preeclampsia are given aspirin. Any modifiable risk factors for stillbirth should be treated, for example, stopping smoking, avoiding alcohol, and effective control of diabetes. Sleeping on the side during pregnancy as opposed to on the back is also advised. There are three key symptoms to always ask about during pregnancy. And women should report these immediately if they occur. And these are reduced fetal movements, abdominal pain and vaginal bleeding. Next let's talk about management. Ultrasound scan is the investigation of choice for diagnosing an intrauterine fetal death. On an ultrasound scan you can visualise the fetal heartbeat to confirm that the fetus is still alive. Passive fetal movements, meaning that the mother will still feel some movements from the fetus, are possible after an intrauterine fetal death and a repeat scan is offered to confirm the situation. Rhesus D negative women require anti-D prophylaxis when an intrauterine fetal death is diagnosed and a Kleinhauer test can be used to quantify how much fetal blood is mixed with the maternal blood to determine the dose of the anti-D that's required. This is because some of the fetal blood may enter the maternal circulation after a fetal death in the uterus. And in recess negative women, this can cause sensitization to the recess antibodies affecting future pregnancies. A vaginal birth is first line for most women after an intrauterine fetal death, unless there are other reasons for a cesarean section. Provided immediate delivery is not required, for example due to sepsis, preeclampsia or haemorrhage, then women are given a choice between induction of labour to get labour started or expectant management. Expectant management involves awaiting natural labour and delivery. Women with expectant management will need close monitoring and over time the condition of the foetus will begin to deteriorate. Induction of labour involves a combination of using oral mifepristone, which is an antiprogesterone, and vaginal or oral mesoprostol, which is a prostaglandin analogue, and this helps to get labour started. Dopamine agonists, for example cabergoline, can be used to suppress lactation after a stillbirth, as producing breast milk can be quite upsetting. With parental consent, Testing is carried out after a stillbirth to determine the cause This can involve genetic testing of the fetus and the placenta Post-mortem examination of the fetus including x-rays Testing for maternal and fetal infection And testing the mother for conditions associated with stillbirth Such as diabetes, thyroid disease and thrombophilia Identifying the cause of the stillbirth can help reduce the risk in future pregnancies and pregnancies in women who have previously had a stillbirth will be very closely monitored. Sensitive, breaking bad news and good emotional support is essential provided in an appropriate place by appropriately trained and experienced staff. Counseling is offered to women, partners and family members. They should be supported with their individual wishes, such as if they wish to see the baby, name the baby and keep photographs, although they shouldn't be persuaded either way about what to do, so it's very much tailored to the individual and their wishes. They're also supported with wishes for funeral arrangements and services. So thanks for listening to this episode on stillbirth. As always, a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast And I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll talk about cardiac arrest in pregnancy.